Want to understand what climate change is really all about? Want to get the latest environmental news? Listen to the Green Divas My Earth 360 report and hear it all. From WTF to encouraging news and ways that you can take action for the Earth. This segment is sponsored by TrueGoods.com because shopping should be fun, not frightening. True Goods helps you make simple choices for healthier, safer, cleaner living. Tell truth, shop good at TrueGoods.com. Okay, so we have another special Green Divas My Earth 360 this week. Last week we were celebrating oceans with the David Suzuki folks, right? Yep. Highland. That was with Jody, Jody Stark. And this week we have an honored guest. We have Andrew Revkin, who's rolling his eyes. Um, he's, he's, a, he's a humble dude. He's one of Come our on. heroes. He's uh, the uh, dot, dot Earth guy for New York Times. I don't know what the term is. Dot Earth editor, writer, uh, reporter. And he's also a pace, uh, communications professor. Senior, Are you a prof? Senior fellow for environmental understanding. Wow. At Pace University. See, I'm glad I let you say well, that. I'm in my fourth year there. That's awesome. So he made the trek out to the studio. Yay. And it's not quite as difficult as your recent trip to China, I'm sure. No. That's a long, <laughs> long haul. Yeah. So we've got like tons to talk about, but I know that uh, Lynn had planned for this My Earth 360 to talk a bit about Obama's recently, you know, um, all this new fun stuff with climate control, whatever. Um, I'm going to let you guys start that conversation. Sure. Yeah, and, I, and it's a shame that we didn't do the My Earth 360 report last week because that's when uh, the Clean Power Plan was published, put out there by the EPA. And I know you wrote a piece about the uh, CO2 rules, Andrew, or Andy. Yeah. Green dude Andy. <laughs> He's a green dude um, now. Here on Dot Earth. And uh, I, I think it's pretty, to me, it's, it's exciting. Um, but then, you know, you do a little further reading, and is it enough? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I was asked that question the other day for a roundup that uh, another website was doing. I posted on Dot Earth. It's never going to be uh, enough to the extent mm-hmm. that the, um, the greenhouse gas buildup that's already occurred has guaranteed a substantial sustained climate change for generations to come. So, and you can't roll the clock back very easily. It's right. a, it's a one-way ratchet essentially when you have a long-lived gas being pumped into the atmosphere. Uh, it stays there. It stays in the system once you liberate it from the ground uh, from being in coal for millions of years uh, for thousands of years. So, mm-hmm. it's a tough challenge. Um, and then there's all the inertia that comes from basically two centuries of reliance on fossil fuels that's built over two centuries. It doesn't, you can't just sort of undo that. And, uh, right, it's hard to just turn that off. Yeah, so he's doing what he can uh, mm-hmm. with the uh, acknowledgement, and he's made this very explicit, that uh, we still rely on fossil fuels heavily for both transportation, well, most more so for transportation, and less and less slowly for, for electricity. And so that's going to be part of our future. Fossil fuels are part of our future, and he's kind of made that clear. But uh, he, you know, what he would like to do is have a dwindling tail toward um, non-polluting sources of energy going forward. Um, and the, the challenge politically is how do you do that in a way and 
that is uh, not too damaging uh, economically. And there are all kinds of compromises. And this bill is incredible. I mean, this uh, set of regulations is incredibly complicated. It involves a lot of individual. Well, actually, every state has a plan individually, except for two that Vermont and uh, I can't remember which the other one is that don't have any fossil fuel power plants uh, uh-huh. that to require them to start tailing down their emissions. Um, they have different ways they can go forward. And it's a bit Rube Goldberg ish in that sense for those who remember rube goldberg cartoons yeah, yeah. Right. We, we use that term with my dad all the time he's, he's <laughs> famous for rube goldberg uh you know engineering yeah although i think with our kids we have to come up with a new uh, right yeah. a, they're a like new what? meme rube what <laughs> yeah what? so but but you get the idea in fact i have a piece i'm putting together slowly um i've canvassed a bunch of economists who really understand the complexities of regulation like this and we'll be coming forward with a piece on the blog shortly that gets it the details and it's, the the details matter. It's a bummer that it has to be so complicated. Yeah, and uh, yet I think we do need some regulation because I think we've proven on our own that the free market is just kind of destructive because the the values are a little <laughs> off. I'm, yeah. you know, people value in the free market system. It seems like people just tend to go right for the money, and the the, the economy and the um, economic answer rather than what may have value for the long term for our families, our health, our children, the earth, you know, animals, things like All that. All of those things, yeah. Those and, you know, with details. Power, sorry about that. It's when I'm not in the studio, which is all the time. Ah. But I can't see when you're going to be done talking, and then I just interrupt <laughs> you, so I apologize. That's okay. Um, but, yeah, the fact that power plants account for about 40% of carbon pollution is just, I mean, that's huge. And there are limits in place for levels of arsenic and nitrogen oxide, carbon pollution, nothing for carbon pollution levels. And carbon pollution levels also impact, uh, even if we don't look at climate change, it, it impacts our health and our oceans and this adds to the acidification of oceans, which could wipe out species of plankton, I suppose, and on and on. And then what? Yeah, uh, of course, and then you get to the question of uh, relative action. You know, no matter what the United States does, right. the United States is not in the driver's seat determining right. uh, trends in CO2 emissions oh, going Andy, forward. Andy yeah, if has, we bring it down, uh, everybody else could be, you've got China and you've got right. India and all these Okay, places. so I just want to say that Andy's got GDESP2. Oh. Because I was just sitting here thinking, right when he said it, like, gee, yeah, it's like all well and good that we're going to make an effort, but but what about the rest of the world? And you just recently got back from China, so yeah. And there was this there was this ridiculous uh, story that kind of bubbled up wishfully while I was in China. Some uh, you some reporters misconstrued uh, what a Chinese uh, professor said, who is an advisor to the government, um, and they blew it into a Reuters story and a Guardian story blew this statement he made informally at a meeting about China taking on a cap on its emissions Uh-oh. at some point as being government policy. So the headlines were, China China announces a plan to cap its emissions. And, it was, <laughs> and I was there, and I was talking to people who really know this stuff. My and it take. Was, so I wrote a piece that said, well, not so fast. And, and this idea that China would, would, would somehow respond to an Obama move – in the same week, at, at <laughs> China is determined to chart its own course and yeah. its own history, and right. it's nothing that the president is going to do that will make China go, oh, okay, they're doing it, therefore we will too. Me too, it's not, me too. not that simple. Yeah. No. Right. 
Well, so we have reasons to be optimistic that at least there's oh, there's there's like an acknowledgement that there is an issue and we do have to take action. And hopefully it won't be so muddled as maybe Obamacare got a little bit crazy. I think it's the way our, our, our government is functioning. I, I, I just think it, it, it everything is so complicated and you have to pay attention to these lobbyists who uh, – and there's a lot of powerful lobbyists that are going to be involved in thwarting. Yeah. You know what you and I may want or think. What we may think is you know groovy. Yep, it's um, and you have the one. U.S. Chamber of Commerce and their affiliate, the Institute for Twenty First Century Energy, which sounds all official. And people are pulling quotes from them, and they um, they put out an analysis before the administration's proposal even came out, um, saying you know putting all these stats out there about how many jobs we're going to be lost and billions of dollars um, <laughs> in annual economic losses that were going to happen, like $51 billion in economic losses and, and 224,000 lost jobs, and people are quoting them. Yeah. And they, they, they put that information out there before the proposal even came out. It's just well, Paul Krugman wrote an effective piece uh, saying even if that was true, and, and it's, it's partially true, this is not free, um, it will be billions, whether it's – Fifty or hundred or twenty, it, it, you know, fifty billion is probably in the ballpark, depending right. on who you talk to. A year, but the economy is trillions a year, so it's a tiny, tiny cost to pay. Yeah, when you consider oh, yeah. the get... health costs and the future of our children. Right, and the health costs are unaccounted; they're not in the books. Well, I was going to say, who was calculating and where? And I know there have been some studies done on the cost of. Um, Pollution and, and the effect, the health effects between asthma and, you know, heart illness, whatever. I I I, I know that they're out there and they're working yeah, yeah. on There's it. Yeah, yeah. Nordhaus and uh, Mendelssohn and other uh, group there at Yale and, and another guy did a paper on the the environmental costs of uh, basically coal powered, coal fired uh, electricity. Uh, the, the health costs um, dominate the benefits. And don't even get me going because like if you start if I. I I wish that there was a little check mark on my income tax that said or, – or, or a few check marks that said this is where I want my money to go. Like really yeah. defense – I know we need defense. OK. I'm not going to argue that we don't need some defense. But really, do, do, we, do we actually – it just it's, – it's a personal issue for me because I'm a little peacenik. But there are so many ways that we could redirect funds and um, come up with you know a few billion dollars to save – the planet or help at least well the thing that i always <laughs> bemoan and i've written about since 2006 was the declining american investment in basic science that relates to energy mm. innovation and it's just it's a tiny tiny number doubling it would be a tiny tiny number and and that and the fact that we're so disengaged with the, the next generation of batteries the next generation of uh, photovoltaics um, right the stuff that could really make these things vault from being an indulgence for um you know, middle class to wealthy people to being the new norm is the fact that they're that we we need a push to do that. And yeah, it's not yeah. there, and it's uh, it's woeful. Well, and you know, I was watching. I don't know if you saw it, Lynn. I was watching uh, the slideshow, uh, Andy, that you did about how you really got interested in all of this. And I won't get too into it, but but you talk about the fact that you know you were you were inspired by some of your world travels and seeing poverty in places and and really issues that are of like. You know, primal um, security. You know, food, water, 
uh, things like that, shelter, and and that there is still a large part of the world that is dealing with those issues, and they don't really care about climate change. No, for sure. You know, they're and just trying to survive. I've written a bunch of pieces on the blog last few years about the the, the primal and and rem- the profound need for energy. Energy gives you water. It gives you sanitation. It gives right. you lighting. It gives you, as a result, it gives you learning. It gives you communication. Uh, mobility, uh, refrigeration, uh, healthcare, you know, yeah. keeping the vaccines cool at a hospital. Right. And without it, people suffer tremendously. So on the ground in most parts of the world, lack of energy is a bigger problem than anything related to climate change. And that, that reality means that we need new energy options right. that poor people can afford as much as we need to focus on decarbonization. To, I just to me. did a really interesting, and I'll just say this real quick, a really interesting um, – segment with Jeff McIntyre Strasberg this morning from Sustainablog about about this issue, about the fact that there are people who – it was primarily about um, rocket stoves, I think, um, mm-hmm. which yeah, you seem to have heard of, uh, which is a very efficient cooking system for, for, for developing places that people are cooking on open fires inside and it's bad for their health. It's not, you know, it's not safe. There's like a thousand reasons why it's just not good. Um, not to mention that they're sure. deforesting <laughs> because of uh, yeah, all the girls, wood that they're using. Girls have to spend hours a day yeah. foraging for firewood and uh, being vulnerable to attack and all that kind of thing. So yeah. I love that there are people paying attention and getting yeah. creative in very simple ways in, in some cases um, you know, to help come up with solutions that don't just help them cook but really help them cook cleaner, safe, healthy, all that. It's important. You know. Aw, there's so many um, good things. You know, one thing I was, it's its not to get us off track from all of that, but um, <laughs> <laughs> back to the uh, whole climate change issue, um, the two degrees Celsius target mm-hmm. that we're trying to not burst through, I don't know if people are translating that into Fahrenheit. Well, two it's, degrees doesn't sound like a lot if people are just, you know, kind of half listening, which a lot of people do anyway. Yeah. Why don't they talk in Fahrenheit? <laughs> well, it's it's it's, it's a lot um, more dramatic. I've written about the people could Google for a piece I did a few years ago called the two degree solution to climate, and there's a lot of fallacies around even having that number. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very technical thing. It's two degrees Celsius above the temperature, the, the average temperature of the planet in the mid 1800s. So what is that? Mm. That doesn't mean anything. Um, right. If you translate it into how much warming from now, it's about one and a half degrees Fahrenheit from okay. now. At least that was as of when I wrote about it, maybe 2009. <laughs> I, I think that was the number. I'd have to double check it. Uh, but it really has no meaning. It has no meaning on the ground for anyone on Earth. So it's and it's and not even I a meaning. I like to think of myself as being partially informed, and and I don't, I, I didn't know that. No, it's it's a it's a number that has to me very little meaning, and and the idea that it is a threshold is not a scientific, it's not established scientifically. It's established by first the European Union, and then other countries well, kind of bought hence in. Hence the Celsius. Yeah, and it's so it's kind of a policy threshold, not a science threshold. Uh, Gavin Schmidt, who runs the RealClimate.org website is now the director of the Goddard Institute, the NASA facility that Jim Hansen ran, um, did a piece a few years ago that I love on on this idea of tipping points like mm-hmm. this one not really having any merit. Mm. So it, I just think it's the wrong way to go about the situation. When you know you don't know how to get to someplace, and you, but you have a general sense of 
yeah. what things are contributing to the problem and what things aren't, then you work on trajectories. You don't mm-hmm. work on numbers. In fact, one of my big transitions myself in the last few years is away from having numerical goals for things like uh, global warming, you know, 350 or two degrees toward um, the goal being identifying traits in society and individuals that we can work on actionably, measurably, that give us a better sense of shifting our course, shifting our trajectory as a society. And then you can, you have plenty of goals still, but it's just not some fantasy number. Uh, I kept, I got punished a few years ago by a number of people for not picking a number. (laughs) Like Revkin, he doesn't, he he hasn't said 350, hasn't, Joe Rahm, who runs the Climate Progress website, was attacking me repeatedly for challenging me to pick a number. And I'm saying, as long as the trajectories are the, the way they are, and we don't know how to get down to where you would need to be, don't talk yeah. to me about numbers. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot yeah, we don't it know. it confuses the issue. Well, it can paralyze you, too, in other ways. Yes. It's just kind of... And well, then once you pass the number, like we just did with 400 ppm, then, then what? And then what? Then you say, okay, now what do I do? <laughs> right. Yeah. That can lead to uh, fatalism or... Um, Cynicism or any one of a number, or disengagement, actually. Yeah, right. A lot right. of people will just say, well, I guess we'll just give up now. I have, I, I had a friend once who I'm, I guess, not really friends with so much anymore, but <laughs> I, I've been worrying about this stuff for a while, and I, I try to talk to people about it, but there's so many people who just address it as me worrying too much. Like, just have fun, Lynn. You only live once. <laughs> um, well... <laughs> Which is that kind attitude of is not how, yeah. <laughs> well, I'd like to think there's a happy medium somewhere in there. Part of what we do at the Green Divas is we try to present information that's important and help yeah. everybody become more aware of the issues. But we also try to present solutions and some optimism mm-hmm. with it because there are some very heavy issues around mm-hmm. this. Like when we were talking about these glaciers melting, it got a little bit upsetting i was like wait right. a minute everywhere we turned it was just yeah. crappy news and i was like oh this is this is not but even there you know those are uh, that, those multi-century time scales which is what that's yeah. yeah you know we think of what the where the world was in the year 1800 there were a billion people uh, yeah we had no. you know it was not common to live past 50 um right. and now we have seven billion which means everything is completely different there are some analyses by a group in europe in in uh in Vienna, called IASA, I-I-A-S-A. They do this long-term modeling of human population possibilities. And one of the scenarios, and they're all just scenarios because there's no predictability. One scenario is that by 2300, there'll be 3 billion prosperous, long-lived people on the planet. Yeah. So there's going to be a major shift somewhere So, there. But what that says is, you know, if you have, by then, um, sea level rise, rise rates being much more, but you have 3 billion prosperous people as opposed to you know, milling masses of of poor people on shorelines, and you can see so lots of either, different outcomes. So either there's like a major, you know, what, what was that Dan Brown book that, that he did recently, which really touches on this issue of, uh, I can't think of the name of it, but it was really ultimately all about um, the, the plagues. It was about overpopulation oh, yeah. and the yeah. reality that nobody wants to look at. It's like the, you know, when we talk about climate change all the time, and we tend not to talk about overpopulation because, you know, yeah. again, what are you going to do? Like, no, stop having well, babies. Stop it. E- even there, there's progress. I, uh, you, I think you know I was at the Vatican for a week um, yeah. a month ago uh, at a big meeting on what they called 
Sustainable Planet, Sustainable Humanity, Our Responsibility. Nice. It was organized by the Pontifical Academies of Science. Didn't you actually sp- open the thing up? I closed. I was the. I was okay. invited to give the closing statement. It was, it's really impressive. Wow. It was pretty cool. I tell you, <laughs> I must say. Uh, but one of the most powerful things that was said there was by this um, cardinal, um, Mara Diago is his last name, from Nicaragua, who's a senior advisor to the Pope. And he gave an opening um, uh, keynote talk and he said humanity we are we are um technical giants but ethical children <laughs> meaning we yeah. don't know we've developed these capacities to change Not the, the responsibility planet, to use it yeah but without an adequate sort of moral maturity to figure out what we do with these tools and and that really kind of shaped a lot of the discussions what was so cool about those discussions was they were delineating where science is helpful but where where science leaves off. Mm-hmm. And one of the points I made in my summary was science just tells you the shape of the problem. It doesn't tell you what to do. Because just think about with global warming, um, there there are passionate act, climate activists like George Monbiot in England who see a full, a full court press on nuclear power as being the only solution. Right. Even after Fukushima. And right. then there's Bill McKibben who says, no, the only solution is smaller, closer to home, you know, touchy-feely, blah, blah, blah. So... So that tells you that you can ha- be very engaged on global warming and still come out with very different decisions well, based is, on your values or your your perceptions. This is exactly why we like to ask everybody when we get get them in the studio, we get them in front of the camera, mm-hmm. and, and I've done this uh, for a while now because I'm just convinced that there is no right, there is no one answer. What does sustainability mm-hmm. mean to you? And what's interesting is that, like if you have a young mother, it's all about you know protecting her child from toxins mm-hmm. or or you know healthy food and, and sustainable food. Um, when it, it might be somebody else, an engineer who's all about making sure that we have uh, clean energy or uh, you know it's just it's it's really fascinating how different everybody and I, that's why sure. it takes more than a village, a big global village to make it happen, people. Well, that's why conversation like what you're doing is really important. You know, sort of unitary statements about what is the, the way forward don't really get you anywhere. Well, I am... Conversation s- gets you somewhere. Yeah, I think so. And I'm thrilled that we've had this opportunity to have this conversation today. And I'm hoping we'll be able to get Andrew back here. Um, yeah, that would be fantastic. It, sure. It's just wonderful talking to you. Um, I do have... We always like to throw an action out there, a way to take action, um, and the EPA will accept comments on the proposal for 120 days after the publication, and I will put the link up on our website so people can leave a comment there. Excellent. It will be really important, and um, you can also register for public hearings, which will be held in select cities, Denver, Atlanta, Washington, D.C., and Pittsburgh the week of July 28th. Pittsburgh's kind of random, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. Nothing on the oh, West Coast, huh? That one. Uh, no? That's funny. Well, Denver. Well, kind of West Coast. Midwest. <laughs> West They're making, making their way out there. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Lynn, and uh, I'll look you. forward to, to, the, to the post for this and uh, take an action. All right, folks, signing off for now. Stay tuned. More coming up. Get all the details from this Green Divas My Earth 360 report and lots more on thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com, and myearth360.com. And remember to tell truth and shop good at truegoods.com. <laughs>